today, uh, would you agree, we are kind of inundated with TV shows that uh, uh, people are vying for the attention of another. There's all kinds of shows that you find on TV and go, hey, I want you to pay attention to me. Hey, look at me. Hey, choose me. I mean, what's, what's the number one that all of you watch? Yep. See, that was number one right there on my list. I knew y'all would say that. Bachelor, what's the second one? Bachelorette. Yep. <laughs> so Bachelor, Bachelorette, uh, the, the uh, scandalous, skanky love island is one of those that you should never watch. If you know what that is, you need to come and repent in the altar right now. <laughs> Uh, but then there are old shows that are much better than that, like Fantasy Island, right? The Plane, <laughs> The Plane. I know that some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, and The Love Boat, The Love Boat. Soon we'll be making another run. <laughs> uh, and then finally today, uh, which I've come across this show called Sister Wives. You seen that one? Who, Lord have mercy. All these, I think, are just kind of a reflection of our culture today on kind of how we live and, and what we're okay with and what we just kind of pursue. And, you know, in Sister Wives, it's one partner with multiple spouses. Um, and I don't know about you, but one spouse is enough. I mean, Carol's wonderful, uh, but I, don't, I wouldn't want another one. And she has also agreed that she would not want us to have another one. Uh, and so uh, uh, all, I mean, just think about all the love and the energy and the planning and the joyous occasions and the difficulties that come with all that. And, and then you think about that multiplied by X number of spouses that you have. I, I don't even know how that even works. And so, um, and I just, as we pass by some of those shows, I'm like, shake my head sometimes and go, sister wives, what in the world? And why would anybody want to live in a relationship like that? And, and as the people, as I said, as the people in Shark Tank often say, too hard, too difficult, too costly, I'm out. <laughs> you know, uh, that is not something I would want to be a part of. Uh, and so today, our text will kind of show us why some of that's actually true. So uh, let's begin reading our text today, and we will see it in Genesis chapter 29. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 31, and we'll read over into uh, chapter 30, verse 34. So we'll pick up in 29:31. Let me get to there. Here's what the Bible says. <clears throat> uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, uh, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again, bore a son, and said, because the Lord has heard my, that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. And then we get into chapter 30. The text goes on. Uh, this is a long one. We're going to keep reading, though. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. A little dramatic. I'm just going to die over here. You don't give me kids. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God? 
who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here's my servant, Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant, Bilhah, as a wife, and Jacob went into hers. How many wives is that now? Yeah, the old trifecta. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. She has called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased having, bearing children, she looked to her servant Zilpah and said, hey, get on in there and give her to Jacob, oh, give Jacob a wife. Uh, then Leah's servant Zilpah, how many is that? Four. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field. So suddenly the scene kind of changes. We've had all this shenanigans, and now we get to this point. It's actually the shenanigans continue. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes. Anybody ever had a mandrake? Didn't think so. In the field and brought with him to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me your mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you now take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field and that evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, you must go in with me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given, my given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Let's stop right there. That's enough. My goodness. Let's pray. Whew. Lord, what a story. Uh, and it's, uh, we believe it's true. And so will you help us today, help me today, as I explain and we talk about and we preach the good news from your word. Do a good work in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's see where this story takes us. <clears throat> so this is not the first polygamous marriage in uh, Genesis. I mean, we've seen it littered all throughout the first 29 chapters uh, uh, that we've seen, uh, that we've read about already. Uh, but this stands in stark contrast to what God had originally planned whenever he laid things out in Genesis, uh, in the early part of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, uh, 24, uh, the scripture says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's what God had said, and that's what God's design was for man and woman. And as we know, you, you, probably that was said at some of your weddings, right? 
Yeah, so ever since the beginning, that's the way God designed it. And he designs it for you and us today, for you and me today, that we should have one woman, one man, and a marriage together. But we saw it all through the scriptures. We saw Lamech do the same kind of thing. We saw Abraham do the same kind of thing. We saw Esau that did the same kind of thing. And now Jacob, although Jacob uh, was kind of tricked into his marriage to marry Leah. Remember that from last week? Remember what happened last week? Uh, uh, the reality is that he continued to be married uh, to her, and then he married Rachel, and it was at least on the surface a disaster, okay? We could read through that, and we'll see that it was just kind of a crazy, crazy time. But ideally, the ideal for Hebrew marriage is monogamy. And so despite these examples that we read in Genesis, the ideal that God had set out in the beginning was monogamy in marriage. Uh, polygamy was a violation of the, the covenantal faithfulness that God had with his people, that God would promise to his people. And so polygamy was just going out past that. Tracking with me? Yeah. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Say amen. Come on. Amen. There we go. Now we're ready. Uh, the Old Testament book Hosea is, uh, is just one of those examples of how God is faithful, how he calls us to someone despite other people's faithfulness. And, and today, just as God calls you and me into joyous, monogamous marriages, relationships with himself, uh, all of this is to display his love and his kindness towards us, right? That's what your marriage is supposed to be. And so let's just pause right there and just stop for just a second and remember, God gave us marriage to be a reflection of Christ in the church, that's what your marriage is supposed to reflect. And so we hear those things that, that husbands, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for, we're supposed to love our wives that way. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And so the scripture says that our marriages are supposed to reflect the relationship between God and the church. Now, there are lots of other benefits that come from marriages, but the main thing for us as Christians is our marriage, people should look at us and go, I can see the joy, I can see the love, I can see the sacrifice, I can see all these things. There must be something different about them. Jesus must be a part of that, and it's supposed to reflect the church so that it has a good reputation for, uh, for, for the Jesus name. Now, if you're a Christian and your marriage is in trouble and you're, and you're in difficulty and you're going, man, my, my, my relationship, my marriage doesn't reflect Christ in the church, then by all means, raise your hand. Not right now. Uh, <laughs> Judy, stop. <laughs> Ask for help, okay? All of us have been there before. All of us have been where we're like, man, this is just a struggle. We're on the struggle bus here and we need some help. And so by all means, raise your hand and go, will you help us? We'll, we'll help you as much as we can. We'll point you in the direction of people if we can't help you. We want your marriage to be good and thriving and strong because it reflects on our great God and King Jesus, okay? So don't be afraid to raise your hand. You won't get any shame or anything at all like that. We will absolutely just want to help you. Your marriage matters. How you love one another matters. But here we are in the text, and, and, uh, and so Jacob has become a polygamist, though not necessarily by his own doing. He absolutely became one anyway. And, but we know that Jacob loved Rachel. The text tells us that he loves Rachel, and he was duped into marrying, uh, remember who he married, what we call her? Old weak-eyed Leah, yeah. Uh, 
And so that's not my own name for the scripture said that she had weak eyes. And so we're just saying that's what the scripture called her. Uh, She had weak eyes and he was duped into marrying her. And so from last week's text, we know that Rachel uh, and Leah's dad pulled some trickeration on Jacob and uh, did the switcherooski, you know, in the, uh, on the way to the, uh, the consummation of the wedding. And he uh, called in for, uh, you know, called in Leah and said, uh, we're bringing in the lefty here. And, um, and, and we'll, uh, then you, then we, you never know what you're going to get. So anyway, boom, Jacob had a wife he didn't even marry. So then Jacob decides to invest another seven years to get Rachel because he loved Rachel. And he said, I'm going to invest another seven years so that I can uh, marry Rachel. And and sure enough, he did. And and man, the the unfortunate thing is you've got the swindling Jacob and you've got two sharp-tongued wives in Rachel and Leah. And so we've seen that some in the text already. Uh, And today, our text shows us kind of what we end up with uh, that just it kind of becomes an extreme mess. Now, I didn't say that, but we're going to talk about this a little bit in more in depth. Uh, but you get multiple wives and, and multiple births and sister hatred and brotherly hatred, and, uh, and it plays out not only in our text today, but it plays out through the biblical storyline. If you know anything about the story, and we'll, we'll get to that shortly. Uh, but yet, despite all this chaos that was actually really... Uh, really happening. What is the signature event that's actually happened that we just read about? Do you know what that is? What did we read about and that, that we just talked about when I gave you all these names? I heard somebody whisper it, mumble it. Yeah, so actually all these names became the 12 tribes of Israel. So then this very dysfunctional, weird hey, you don't sleep here, you sleep there tonight kind of deal. Give me the mandrakes and you can have them for the night kind of weird thing going on. That's where the 12 tribes of Israel came, which were obviously very prominent in the Older uh, Testament. And so, um, see, Jacob didn't know, though, that he would father 12 sons. I mean, God told him, he said, hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. As a matter of fact, it says this in Genesis chapter 28, 14. He says, your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and to the south, and in your, your offspring and all your families of the earth shall be blessed. And so from last week, do you remember what it was that we said? I'll remind you. Uh, yeah, there it goes. God's work goes on amidst human failure. God's work goes on amidst human failure. Say that out loud with me, because some of you need to say it to yourself. God's work goes on amidst human failure. And that's in the middle of your failure, in the middle of my failure, in the middle of our collective failures. God's work still goes on despite some of our failures around us, despite the failure of our leaders, despite the failure of our parents, despite the failure of our children, despite our own failures, God's work still goes on. God has a plan. God uses people who jack it up really bad. You know why? Because he's God and who are we? The people that jack it up really bad. All of us mess it up really bad. All of y'all are really messy. All of you. All of us. All of us are really messy, aren't we? Do this. 
It's okay to admit that. Listen, I know when you go to church, you don't like to say, well, I'm really messed up and I don't really have it all together. You think that you can't say that when you're around church people. Well, here at this place, we already know it about you. Here's the chief messed up dude. That's why we need Jesus. I desperately need Jesus because I am really, really a, a mess. And without Jesus, oh Lord, have mercy. And same for you. Same for you. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus because we're all messed up. And that is uh, what we're going to read about here. So let's, let's read back in the text again, and we'll see what it says. We'll pick up back in verse uh, 31 uh, through 35. This is what uh, the text says to us. Uh, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, uh, for now my husband will love me. That's all she wanted. She wanted her husband to love, him, to love her, and uh, she said, uh, and so now my womb's going to be open, and I'm going to be the one to bury some children. He'll finally love me. <laughs> well, we see what he says. She conceived again, bore a son, uh, and said, because the Lord has heard I'm hated, He's given me this son also, called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived, bore a son, said, now this time will, give, uh, will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again, bore a son, and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased uh, bearing. So the first part of this story focuses on Leah. And, and so Jacob didn't really hate Leah in the way that we think about hate today. He just really loved Rachel. And, and so he didn't really just hate her in the way because... Uh, the verse 30 says he loved uh, Rachel more than he loved Leah. That's what actually the text tells us there. And so when we get to verse 30, there's some contact, uh, some context. It says, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, again, in the context we're talking about, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so one point that we all need to see here is this, that despite the sin and polygamy that had engulfed Jacob's marriage, the Lord had begun to work out his own purposes. Despite all that, despite all the junk that was going on, the Lord had really began at this point uh, that we see, that we're aware of, the Lord began to work out his own purposes. And so I would say this, despite your sin, listen church, despite your sin, God is at work. Listen, despite your sin that you've had in your past that you think you can't get past, God is at work. Despite your sin that you have fought and you've kind of finally put it away and you think, I hope that I've done enough, God is at work. Despite your sin that you are literally right in, engulfed in at this very moment, God is at work. God is at work. He uses sinful people because that's the only kind there are. He uses sinful people like you and me because that's the only kind there are. What, what do we say here whenever we sin? What do we say? Whenever sin abounds, what? Grace, grace much more abounds. Yeah, so whatever your sin is, however big it is, grace is bigger than that. The grace of God will overcome your sin no matter how big it is. No, but it doesn't matter. I know you're thinking, but you don't know what I've done for you. It doesn't matter what I know if you've done. The scripture says, whatever sin abounds, the grace of God much more abounds. It's way bigger than your sin ever could be. 
And so the scripture, so then uh, Paul writes this when he writes about Romans and he says, well, if that's the case, should I sin more so that grace will abound more? Is that what we're taught to do? Is that what we teach you here? Is that what the Bible says? Hey, you know, sin abounds, so just sin all you want to and grace will just have to get bigger and bigger. Is that what we do? No, Paul says, no, by no means. That's not what we're talking about. Just because you sin and grace covers it. He says, by no means, that is very contrary to what it means to know God. But, do, but it does, the truth still matters. That where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so really messed up people like you and me, God still uses. His grace is poured out on us and so that he continues to use us for his, to accomplish his purposes. He's got plans and they will come to pass and he'll use you and me, even in our sinful state, for his purposes. Let's keep going. So, so God himself had really closed up uh, Rachel's womb. Rachel, the much beloved, the beautiful Rachel, he had closed up her room and, uh, her room, uh, her room and her womb. Uh, no room in the womb. Oh, sorry. Uh, what am I doing up here? Uh, so this wasn't supposed to happen to Rachel. This, she wasn't supposed to be the one this was supposed to happen to. I mean, she was supposed to be the prize and get the prize. That's, what, that's the way her life was supposed to come out and go. Instead, it was Leah who was as fertile as the Tennessee Valley. I mean, she was spouting out kids left and right. Uh, and so, uh, uh, I mean, it was, she was popping out one son after another while, while Jacob was working off his seven years to get to Rachel. And, and, and really, Leah had great hopes. She would really hope that at some point, by having all these children, that Jacob would finally love her. That's what she was really hoping for. She just longed for uh, the love of Jacob. And, and so maybe if I bear him some sons, he'll finally love me. But uh, it's just strange that you've got this whole back and forth between these women and this guy that are going back and forth. And, and so let's look and just see what it looks like. As we get into the text, what I just read, um, uh, it really talks about, you can, ever, you can see Leah's desperation as she names her sons. The first one uh, is Reuben. And Reuben, uh, as she named him, it means what? Look, a son. And so she's like, she had a son, and that's really what she was like. She was like, hey, look, look over here, look at me. I know you don't love me, but I've given you a son. I've given you what you want. And so she named his, she named her son. The scripture says it, verse 32, Leah conceived, bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked on my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Look, I have a son, love me now. But that didn't come. So she bore him another son, named Simeon. What does it mean? I've given you a hint. <laughs> the Lord has heard. Uh, the Lord has heard. Look at what verse 33 says. She conceived again and bore a son. She said, because the Lord has heard I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And, and so uh, literally it was like, you didn't give me any attention. You didn't look my way whenever I had my first son. Maybe you'll, if you won't look at me, maybe you'll at least hear me. The Lord has heard me. 
Jacob, maybe you'll hear me. Maybe you'll put me in earshot of what it, what it was. I love him so much and I want him to love me. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll at least hear me. But alas, it didn't happen. Then we have another one. She has a third son. What does Levi mean? What does Levi mean? Yeah, attachment. Yeah. Levi means attachment. Verse 34, again, she conceived and bore a son, said, Now this time my husband may be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name shall be called Levi. If you know anything about the scriptures, you, you'll know that in, in, their, in, in the process of life and well, whatever circumstances are going on around them, a lot of their kids and a lot of their offspring and people were named for the situation uh, that was going on. And that's what was happening here. That's why his name was Levi because uh, uh, Rachel said, uh, maybe he'll be attached to me. And so I'll remind him with this child uh, that this is, this is what I'm hoping for in our marriage. And so uh, uh, what we really see though is Leah has kind of moved from desiring the love that we all hope for in our marriages to just maybe there's some type of peripheral attachment that I'll have to him, that he'll have to me. Just, just, look, just glance in my way somehow. Just look in my way somehow. Uh, just be somewhat attached to me. Uh, give me some type of kindness, some type of connection. Uh, and, but I believe her hopes had really even began to fade at this point for really any kind of attachment. Then, then you get to son four, and Judah means what? Yeah, Judah means praise. And I think by this time, that's a really nice thing, right? Judah means praise. And we're all, well, that's cute and sweet. But the reality is, in her world, I really believe this means I've kind of given up hope. I've given up hope on him seeing me. I've given up hope on him hearing me. I've given up, him, up hope on him being attached to me. And so I'm just going to praise the Lord. I'm just going to thank the Lord for my sons. I'm going to thank the Lord for what he's given me. I'm going to thank the Lord that he has, he has seen me and heard me and given me what it is, the desires of my heart, and I'm kind of just moving on past the hope that, ever, that I'll ever get any love from Jacob. He's given up on clamoring for Jacob's love, but God had given her four sons. So she chose to praise the Lord in the middle of her circumstances. That's difficult to do. Some of you in circumstances right now, it's difficult to praise the Lord. Some of you are in, in circumstances where it's draining on you to praise the Lord. Just because it's tough. I get it. Been there. It's hard. Praise the Lord anyway. Praise the Lord through the storm. Praise the Lord in the middle of the storm. Praise the Lord in the middle of your circumstances. That's what we see Leah beginning to do here. But little did she know that her last two sons, Levi and Judah, would father the priestly line that would end up getting us to Jesus. Uh, you know who else is in that line? Moses, Aaron, David, Jesus, all those come out of that line. She had no idea that was going to be the case. But that's what was happening in her particular world. We don't know what God is up to. You don't know what God is up to in your life, right? You don't, we don't know. We, we can't see past where we are right here. We, we don't know what's happening in the future. So we don't know what God is up to in your life, despite the, whether things are going really good for you or really bad for you right now. We just don't know what God happens to be up to. What do you think God is up to in your life? What are you thinking? What are you hoping that God is going to do in and through you? He's going to do something. He, he's going to do something in and through you. I promise you. It's what he does. He uses us for his purposes. Let's keep going. So at this point, Leah remains unloved by her husband. Let's keep reading in the text. We'll pick up in uh, chapter 30, uh, 
one, uh, it says 30, yeah, 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. He said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? She said, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him the servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went to her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again, bore Jacob a second son. Rachel said, with the mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Uh, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, and Leah said, Good fortune has come. She called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son, a second son, and Leah said, Happy I am, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. And so uh, Rachel's uh, 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 infertility, her barrenness, became uh, increasingly intolerable for her. And she's like, i got to figure out what to do. I can't stand all these uh, uh, pregnancies that are happening on the other side of the aisle over here. Uh, and so it was in her bitterness that she forgot this, that God is the giver of life. Okay? God is the giver of life. It is him. We see it from the text very clearly from our vantage point. She didn't have the opportunity to read the text, you know, read the story that she was a part of. We see it very uh, clearly that God is the one who is opening wombs. He is the one who is choosing when these women are going to have these babies. And so look, we believe that God is the giver of life here at Refuge. Amen? Yeah, we believe that it is God who opens wombs. We believe it's God who closes wombs. We have seen uh, God grant people uh, with babies. Amen. In the back, raise your hands, wave them in the air. Uh, yep, we see that happen. We've prayed over people. We've laid hands on people. And we've seen God do amazing things. And so, and, and so we say that not because there's anything magical about us. We're just asking the one who's the giver to open up wombs. And he does it in his timing. And so if you're struggling with that, <clears throat> you're struggling with, hey, what does it mean? Why is God not giving me? Why is God not doing? Why is God not doing these things for me? Man, pray, ask. Come to the elders of this church. Let us come and lay our hands on you. Not because we're magical, but God's ordained us to do these things. And we'll do these things. We'll pray over you. We'll lay hands on you. We'll anoint you with oil. We'll do all those things. Pray, and praying that God will do what it is that you're asking him to do. God is the giver of life. Despite the truth in that very statement, Rachel decides to take matters in her own hands, and I know none of us would take matters into our own hands here, but Rachel decides to, so just go along with me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so Ra Rachel decides to offer up her handmaid Bilhah, uh, <laughs> what a name, uh, and that kind of seems familiar. Uh, remember Sarah and Hagar and Abraham, they kind of did the same thing. And so we're kind of repeating the same thing over and over again. And I, I'm sure Rachel knew this story. And it's not something that would be unfamiliar to her. And so I'm sure she knew this story about what had happened at that point. And, and, and so there's no doubt at one point in her life or, uh, or, or coming up to marry uh, Jacob that I'm sure that Rachel was like, you know what, I'm going to marry this guy. He's the guy of my dreams. And, and I just want to, I can't wait to marry him. It's going to be him and me uh, forever. Not, not, not other women involved, and that's what it's going to be in our life. But not all that was out the window. And, and the, reality, the reality show in their, uh, in the reality TV show in their uh, age was birth wars. 
It was just like Star. I used it my Star Wars. <laughs> so I, if they had lightsabers. They would have fought each other uh, during that time. Uh, and so this is the succession of their kid. This is so. Uh, uh, so Dan means judged or vindicated. That, that's what Dan's name means. And verse six says, Rachel said, God's judged me. Also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name uh, Dan. And so she was trying to declare that now God has vindicated me. Now everything's getting set in the right place. And I'm going to remind you whenever you say this kid's name, that that's what was happening. And then the second one was born Naphtali, uh, uh, which means uh, wrestling. And so verse 8 says, uh, Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. It's almost like, you know what? I have drop kicked her from the top rope and I am winning this thing and I am won the wrestling match. I have pinned her. Uh, I, I have done this. I have won my wrestling match. And, uh, and, and so I win. That's, that's really kind of the whole thing that was there. Uh, well, in this ongoing episode of Sister Wives, this is what happens next. Leah strikes back. I'm back, baby. And that's what happens in the text. As, as I was reading it, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, this is just like Star Wars. Uh, sorry, just entertaining myself. Leah says, oh yeah? If you can give Jacob your servant Bilhah, then I'll give him my servant Zilpah. How about that? I'll one-up you. And sure enough, the revolving door of Jacob's fantasy island kind of just continues on. And uh, so Gad is the first one born in this whole kind of crazy thing that was going on. And so Gad means good fortune. That's what the, the text says. It means good fortune. And, and then the one after that was Asher. And Asher means happy. And so they're going, see what's happened here? I mean, I've had good fortune now. God's given me good fortune. God's making me happy because he's giving me what I want. And if you're keeping score at this point, we go to the scoreboard. What does it say? Leah 6, Rachel 2. And so that's the scoreboard. I'm sure they keep scoring on him. We keep scoring our heads, right? So I'm sure they were keeping score in their heads as right as well. And, and we even see that. Um, so at this point in this Game of Thrones, uh, well, that's not actually right, uh, or in Match Game, or, or the War of Roses, or the Jerry Springer Show, whatever you want to call this whole uh, text, uh, the, the kind of baby war takes an interesting turn. Look what it says in Genesis chapter 30, verse 14. The days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field. Anybody know what a mandrake is? I see one. Well, we're going to talk about that. Uh, she went and found a mandrake in the field and brought them to his mother, to his mother uh, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your mandrakes. Uh, but she said to her, it, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Why would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Rachel said, that he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. It's like she's the gatekeeper. Uh, when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went to, him, to meet him and said, you must come in with me for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have my servant 
I've given my servant husband, so she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good endowment, that my husband will honor me, because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God's taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph, saying, my, may the Lord God add to me another son. And so, whew. Uh, so boy number one in this text, boy number one, Reuben, uh, went into the field and he came back with the old love potion number nine, uh, otherwise known as mandrakes in the text. And so you go, well, Scott, what is a mandrake? I've never heard of a mandrake. Well, I'm glad you asked because I've never heard of a mandrake either until, you know, you read through this text, you're like, what in the world's a mandrake? Why would they be using a mandrake? According to Genesis scholar Gordon Winham, uh, this is what it says. The mandrake is a perennial Mediterranean plant that bears bluish flowers in winter and yellowish plum-sized fruit in summer. In ancient times, mandrakes were famed for arousing sexual desire and for helping barren women to conceive. And so if you actually read your Bible, uh, uh, mandrakes are referenced in the Song of Solomon. Uh, they talk about them there in uh, chapter 7. We don't have time to go there because I'm really pressed for time. Uh, uh, so we don't have time to go there. Uh, many ancients called them love apples. Uh, here's, here's some pictures of them. That's a picture of one. Kind of looks like a person. It's like freaky. Here, here's a better one. Oh, look at that precious baby. Now, no one really knows if these mandrakes really kind of worked. Actually, we'll see that they actually don't. Uh, it's it's kind of like many things we see advertisers push. Nobody really knows if the stuff works, but if you're desperate enough, you'll try it. Uh, that, that's kind of where they were here in this in this particular part of the text. So, uh, so it's kind of the same with Rachel. Here, here's what the text said, verse 14. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field, yada, yada, yada. I don't have time to read through all this text again because we already read through it. And my sermon is long. So let's get on to this part. And so it seems, though, um, Rachel is from this text, that Rachel is in charge of whoever sleeps with Jacob. So Rachel is the gatekeeper of who gets the access to him. And she holds the keys to the boom, boom room. Uh, <laughs> I'm just being, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. In exchange, Rachel says, give me all the mandrakes. Because uh, I need those mandrakes. And so Rachel got the mandrakes and Leah got the night with Jacob. That's what the text tells us. And so it's like Jacob came in from the field and it's like the gatekeeper says, and he's starting to go like he always goes. He says, nope, not tonight. You go this way tonight. You know, you're not stage left. You go stage right tonight. Um, and from this, we gather that mandrakes did not work for Rachel uh, during this time uh, because it was Leah, if you read the text, that had three more children. It was Leah who's the one that actually had the kids that followed that. Uh, and Rachel remained childless for three more years despite the whole transaction that happened. Rachel ended up having kids a few years later as we saw at the end of the text. And that's where that wraps up. Woo. That's a lot. So what do we do with that? <laughs> as pastors, whenever we get texts that we're supposed to teach and preach... And we read this, we go, what do we do with this? <laughs> I mean, other than just entertain you for the last 40 minutes, 
uh, around just what was happening in there. What do you do with this? Well, I, I've got a few things that I think are important. The text is very implicit that Leah's fertility came from God. Okay? Leah's fertility came from God. Or, more particular, both in the beginning and at the end, fertility, wombs being open, comes from God. Offspring comes from God. And so I, I, I know I referenced it early on, but some of you are probably wrestling with that. Some of you are probably wrestling with that, and I, I can't have children, I, I, I want to have children, or I, I don't know what to do with my children. I want more. I, 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 there's lots of things that are around that. But children, Scripture says, are a blessing from the Lord. And so whether you're without children and you're desiring children, or you are, have children, and you're going, I don't know what I'm going to do with my children. Or I am really just at a loss of what it means to be a mom. I'm really at a loss of what it means to be a dad. Uh, just know that those children are come from the Lord. Whether you've got six and you wanted two, or whether you've got two and you wanted six, that those children are a blessing from the Lord. They come from the Lord. Some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to hear this too. God sees you. The text really talked about um, the fact that they thought they were alone. That Leah thought she was alone. At some point, Rachel thought she was alone. They were in this contest with one another, and they weren't really sure what they were going to do. How do we get somebody to love us? The reality is, it wasn't anything that they did. It wasn't the mandrakes. It wasn't, the, it wasn't anything else other than God saw them. See, God sees you in your misery. God sees you in the longings of your heart. God sees you in your state of despair. It may not be around fertility, but it's probably around something. We've all been there. God sees you. But not only does God see you, God hears you. God hears the cries of your heart. God knows the longings of your heart as you pour your heart out to him. God knows the agony and the pain that you speak to him. God knows that it is what it is that you want more than anything else in your life. Why is this true? Because God loves you. See, God really cares about each of you individually. Each person that's here that you're listening to, God loves you. He hears you. He sees you. God is close to you. God is not absent in the middle of your chaos. God is not absent in the middle of your pain. God is not absent 
in the middle of everything getting turned upside down on top of itself. God is actually always at work on your behalf. Because this is true too. God has a plan for you. See, the thing that I take solace in is that as we read these texts, that despite human sin, God's plan goes forward. I mean, you see that happening? I mean, this was, these are some really, this story today, you'd be like, what in the world? What are you, what are you people doing? Right? And despite that, God chose to go, I'm going to give you the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel that we look through that the rest of the Old Testament is basically about. Telling their story, pointing to the one who was to come, the Messiah that was to come. So in the middle of their sin, God had a plan for them. God has a plan for you, despite whatever it is that you're in the middle of. You're like, preacher, you don't know me. I am, I'm a recovering this. I'm in the middle of this. I'm a junkie this. Man, I'm a cheat this. I'm a whatever this. God has a plan, and he uses crooked sticks to accomplish it all the time. Why? You know the answer. Because they ain't nothing but crooked sticks. We all crooked sticks. That's why we all need Jesus. That's why we all need a Savior. That's why we all need an intercessor. That's why we need someone to be our go-between. See, despite these people's uh, best effort, I mean, God has a plan, and even though Rachel and Leah had a plan of their own, but God had plans for both of them. Leah and Rachel had plans, had kids because God did it, and, and despite their best efforts, including the use of the old magical mandrakes, it was God who chose to grant them with children. See, there's, there's, there's really nothing in this story with any valor. There's nothing in this story with really good deserved outcomes. If you look at it and you go, I'm going to be for this one because they're doing it right. That's not happening in this story. Nobody's really doing it right in this story. There's nothing in this story except deceit and manipulation and the celebrating and gloating over I've got kids and i got more kids and you got kids and my kids were first. Humiliation and tears and the revolving door around, I mean, for goodness sake, Jacob's illicit sex life. I mean, it's ridiculous. There's nothing here with any valor with one exception. God's grace and mercy shown through it all. God's grace and mercy is the thing that rises up above everything else. God's grace and mercy is the thing that was shown brighter than anything else. Despite all the things that we just read about and laughed about, I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe any of this stuff is actually true. 
God's grace and mercy rose up, gave them offspring. Offspring that God would use mightily. God used the offspring of, of Rachel and Leah and Bilhah and Zilpah. And if you're looking at the text, you'll see that God came to both those women, uh, both Rachel and Leah, not at the pinnacle of their lives, but where? At the lowest part. At the lowest point of their life, that's when God really shone himself to them. Whenever they were barren and couldn't have children, whenever they were jealous and it's like, she's already got kids and I can't have any kids. When did God show up? At all those times at the lowest part of their lives. And it wasn't their cleverness that put all this into play, but it was God's plan to accomplish what God had set out that he planned to accomplish in his people for his purposes and by his plan. Today, God's work is not to make a new people like he was making here. He was making a new people. Making, that's what his plan was. Today, God's work is not to make a new people, but to save a people. To save a people. See, today, you're either for him or you're against him. If you're here, listen. If you're listening to me in this room, you're either for him or you're against him. If you're listening online, you're either for him or you are against him. Today, you're either running frantic to accomplish everything on your own, like we read in our text, where you can try to make it all happen on your own and, and, and keeping the rat race running. You're trying to either do that on your own or you're trusting in the only one who can orchestrate the lives of all of us to accomplish what he set out to accomplish. Today, you are either in Christ Jesus or you're working frantically to try to gain your way from the acceptance of God. Today, you're either turning to the idols of your hearts like these ladies did. Give me kids. Give me kids. Give me the thing that I desire from my heart. Give me this. Give me that. You're either turning to the desires of your hearts, babies, love, whatever that thing is. Or you're turning to Jesus. What if today we turn from our idols? What if today we turn to God instead of to our idols? What if today we let go of everything else that makes us mad, began rejoicing in the Lord? Hey, you can find that. It's available. All that. Hope, salvation, joy, peace. All that is found. Not in all those peripheral things, but in following Jesus. We'd invite you to do that today. Let me pray for you.